Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Hannah, this is Kelty. We're upbringing. We are live to do our Q&A session, usually talking about the hard stuff, which we always like to reframe as the good stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Talking about our kids' challenging behaviors, high needs, big feelings, all the stuff Mm -hmm. that's so tricky to handle chronically over Mm -hmm. and over and over, right? Yeah. We also talk about how we can be parenting outside, you know, white patriarchy and capitalism and those things outside the control-based model consequences on my terms. Now threats, rewards, overpower lecture. It's not fun stuff. Mm-hmm. We can be parenting through connection, through consent-based, shame-free, research-informed tools. And that's what we love talking about. Love talking about. Take your shitty situation, <laughs> your chronic problem, the thing that's just feeling so stressful, frustrating, <clears throat> anxiety-inducing, whatever it is, and we help you reframe that. We help you build skills to reapproach that and stay in relationship with your kid. Teach them the skills that you actually want them to learn. Right? Because when we use control, when we yell, when we spank, when we give timeouts, that's what our kids are learning to expect in a relationship. That's what our kids are maybe learning to use as tools on other people. So I think in those situations, we're trying to use empathy, curiosity, patience, problem solving, respect, Nonviolent communication, all these things that, gosh, we're kind of having to learn ourselves to be able to teach to our kids. So that's what we're up to. Enter your questions or challenges here on Instagram, um, and we can hopefully get to some of them. Mm -hmm. We also want to talk a little bit about our upcoming small group coaching program that's starting, uh, what is it, Wednesday? Mm -hmm. For February, it'll be every Wednesday in February. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll get to that in a moment. We've got a couple people writing in here. So Mm -hmm. they both seem like sib things. Yeah. Hey, Amy. Mm -hmm. So first one says, my four-year-old heard curse words and now he says them. How to stop that? You can't. (laughs) And I also want to add, you shouldn't. Why shouldn't we stop our kids from experimenting with swear words? Two reasons. One, it's called free speech. I'm just going to put that out there. We have our, our freedom to speak in our home. Our kids have all these freedoms to feel, to speak, to know, to play, to learn, to, to contribute, to move, all these things that we're kind of reworking around. Starting with babies, we hold all the power, privilege, responsibility, accountability, all these things. As our kids get older, we start getting into teaching mode and we start saying, no, but you can't do this. No, but you need to do this, right? And I think that I'm so, going to teach you. I'm going to teach you. So first reason our kids should be able to swear if they're feeling it right now is because it's their right to say whatever they want, period. 
-hmm. right? And we'll get into what the impact of that might be or how we can work in nuance with them about that. Mm -hmm. Number two, the reason we don't want to shut that shit down is because they might do it more, Mm -hmm. right? That might be putting a little bit of heat on it. Yeah, so swear words, we like to call high energy talk. Mm -hmm. Um, not because we're in this binary of like good words, bad words. We don't like to get like that with anything, with food, with clothes, with anything, anything. It just is right. And kids don't learn by us telling them what to do and what not to do, what to say and what not to say. They learn by doing right. They learn by doing and experiencing how that feels Mm -hmm. and experiencing how that feels to other people. And so once our kids, we, you know, we can't protect them in this little bubble their entire lives from never hearing a swear word. And we can't actually stop them from swearing or saying or experimenting. What happens with when we try words? to say, don't say that. You can't say that, <laughs> yeah. right? So they might be like, okay, I'm saying um, it, but I can't stop or it comes out or I want to say it. And they might be experiencing feelings of shame, which we think is our number one teaching tool, right? When we feel helpless and we're like, just don't say it. You don't say it. How could you say oh, that? That hurts mom's feelings. That, that hurts your brother's feelings. You can't say those words right. in our family. And they're like, but I am. So does that mean I'm not part of the family? Does that mean I'm lesser in the family? And for those so sensitive kids, maybe they think that. And then for the more uh, strong-willed kids, when they Rebellious. swear or they say you're stupid, so rude words kind of fall into that same category for us as swear words, right? They're high-energy words. Someone else <clears throat> called them powerful words. Mm, like They're that. high energy. They've got a lot of energy to them, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to remember kids are using them and saying them because they want to know what does it feel like to say here? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to say it there? How does mom or dad respond? Mm-hmm. How does friend respond? How does grandma respond? That's how they learn, right? But with the strong-willed kids, if we censor, if we try to shut down them experimenting with what they're saying, that can mm-hmm. also lead them to, ooh, want to say it more often. Mm-hmm. Ooh, want to say it in a really tricky time like at church mm-hmm. or with your mother-in-law or at school, mm-hmm. right? So, so much about the work that we're doing as parents and the work that we support you in doing in this upcoming small group coaching or private coaching too, mm-hmm. is saying we have to allow our kids to experience life, right? In a safe, secure way. But the way we go about it is what ultimately makes it safe and secure because we're saying that's a really interesting word and we're creating safety and awareness around it. And then that allows them to not get reactive or shut down, mm-hmm. right? To go outward or inward mm-hmm. and allows them to explore and to ultimately learn and make the decisions for themselves about what words they say and why. Mm-hmm. And right. yeah, learning that kind of code switching. Well, I guess I can mm-hmm. say these words at home because my mom knows I'm just experimenting, expressing, and that's a safe place to do that. But I guess that doesn't really fly at school. Hmm. The principal didn't seem to like that or Ooh, that didn't really go over so well at daycare church camp or whatever it is. And I want to say this also, this sort of mean words, swearing, all those things apply to our kids tone as well. And I think that we oh, yeah. often as parents are like, I got, I got to curb this. I got to say, not those words. I'm going to censor. And I say, not that tone. It sounds aggressive or it sounds angry. It sounds whiny. So we tone police our kids. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I want to mm-hmm. say censorship and tone policing, not the kinds of things we want to be bringing into our house in the name of teaching our kids. Right. Yeah. I, I totally we agree can with avoid that. It. Yeah. Someone said, seven-year-old saying mean and hurtful words to me anytime he has a meltdown when I've had to hold a boundary. I don't try to shut it down. It feels terrible. Do I leave the room, try to stop it? Right? I think that the way we go about it, again, we have to remember that our kids say things and they do things, but we're talking about what they're saying for two reasons. They do it to experiment. So to learn cause and effect. What does that feel like? What does that feel like for other people? And they do it to express, to express feelings to express needs, mm-hmm. right? I trash talk people when I'm upset too. 
right? It's a, it's a very common thing. So our kids mm -hmm. are, we have to get curious. Are they kind of experimenting here? So we want to keep it super safe and help them feel safe. Like we're not setting up uh, limitations or things they're going to want to kind of um, push. And then are they expressing in this case, the seven-year-old is feeling upset and they're struggling and the way they're projecting and expressing their stress right now in seven-year-old terms is by saying really mean things and projecting that onto to you. It's not fun. It's not great, but mm -hmm. it's so normal and it's not going to be happening all like forever. We mm -hmm. promise. So I like your yeah. idea as opposed to trying to stop it. Mm -hmm. If you need to take a personal time out as opposed to controlling and coercing right. our kids' words, our kids' tones, right? Things that we can't ultimately control without making it worse. Tools of, tools of the oppressor, right? Basically, <laughs> yeah. right? We can take that personal time ourselves. You know what? I'm struggling with this high energy talk a little bit. I'm going to take a quick break in the mm -hmm. other room. You are so upset that I had to set that boundary. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that this is tough for you, right? And if you can stay calm during it, then I would even, if they're swearing and doing all the things, I would just nod and be like, and just kind of do my thing, right? Mm -hmm. But if and you need that space, take it. If say, you need that I, space, I, I need to step out for a minute. If you can't offer what we call in the, in the moment with our kids when they're struggling presence, right? Then don't worry about it. Just offer whatever presence you can to de-escalate the situation and then later move on to what we call after, which is processing. Mm -hmm. And that's when we can talk to our kids about what were you needing? What was going on? Mm -hmm. You didn't like that. And you said a lot of uh, high energy things to me. Wow. Right. I was struggling with that. So I got a little snippy or I yelled at you or I stormed mm -hmm. out of the room and I'm sorry that happened. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that you point to that, that kind of preparation presence and post-processing that we talk about in our small group coaching in our upbringing collective membership community. Mm -hmm. And that the moment in the moment, the present step is the hardest. Right. That, that's where the most pressure is. That's when we're the most triggered, where we're feeling like uh, an assault of disrespect or rudeness or overwhelming behaviors or force. Well, right? when we're, we're feeling out of control, which right. makes us want to yeah, over control, control dominate, yeah. stop, just shut it all down. Right. So I love Hannah that you're pointing to how can we be working and preventing working towards preparing maybe. And then how can we post-process later in the circle back, not the girl back, but in the moment focusing on de-escalation? Because I think when we're triggered, when we're pushed beyond, when we're feeling sensitive and get upset and feeling disrespected, we tend to escalate, not de-escalate. Right. So maybe think about a time in, in a heated parenting moment. Think about the way you showed up. Did it make everyone feel a little more stressed? Did it add to the noise? Did it add to the negative energy? Did it disconnect you and your child more? Or did it do the opposite? Where did, did it create safety? Right. Did it create a, a positive association around competing needs and conflict? Mm -hmm. Did it reduce shame and confusion and actually increase connection and learning. awareness and learning, right? Mm -hmm. It's so tricky, but thinking about it, it's like the sliding doors in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, what do we want to do? And we can't do it perfectly. And that's why I highly suggest nodding when we're triggered by our kids. Mm -hmm. Someone else here in our DM said, hi, Hannah and Kelty. Okay. I know what you say that children can say what they want. <laughs> However, my four-year-old cannot stop saying the word stupid or calling me stupid. We gave it power once when we told her it wasn't a nice word and now she uses it often. So talk about empowering the high energy words, backfiring. Mm -hmm. This person says, I try to determine when she uses it. Like often it's when she's dysregulated, but other times too, like I think when she's hungry. So that's so great there. Identifying when is my child expressing what we call stress language, right? It's literally stress language. You don't have to you know, read between the lines too much mm -hmm. here. Anyways, they say, any ideas? Getting told over and over that I'm stupid and she's going to throw something at me is getting old. 
I just sort of let her say it and don't say anything in return. Would love your thoughts if possible. Mm, I love that. And mm -hmm. I love that at very base level, can we just not say anything? Can we just not make it worse? Can we not can we add? Not add, mm -hmm. not escalate on that. I think the second step might be something like mm -hmm. you sound or it seems like you really don't like. So, so we're validating and reflecting what we think we hear. We're translating right. what's going on. So when we hold a limit or our kid's hungry or something and they say you're stupid or gosh, you're moving stupid slow or whatever it is, we can say, sounds like you really want me to pick up the pace or sounds like you're hungrier than I thought you were. Mm -hmm. Or it sounds like you really didn't like that I held that limit. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And that might end up escalating for some kids who don't want you to talk when they're upset, who don't want you to perspective take or verbally empathize about how they're feeling. They're like, shut up, I'm not mad. <laughs> right? So we can consider all of those things feedback from yeah. our kids. I think it's so easy for us to just get really scared about what high mm -hmm. energy talk means. And someone writes in and says, thank you. I project into the future. Will he speak this way to his future partner or friends if he's feeling upset? Also the two and a half year old's been near and is picking up on this, which is painful. Mm -hmm. And it is so easy for us to spiral out. We forget <coughs> that our kids are expressing <clears throat> their stress in a really wild and uncomfortable way because they're kids and because they don't have the prefrontal cortex there yet, right? To help them notice how they're feeling, think about what they're saying to themselves, identify a deeper feeling and need, and then communicate that. That's they, what we do with right? them. They will never be able to do that, right? They will mm -hmm. be on the Jerry Springer show. That will actually happen if we keep focusing on the behaviors and shutting down what's actually going on underneath. So what we want to do is ignore the words and get to the root cause of their suffering and their stress, right? When we shut down their words, when we punish what they're saying, what they're interpreting is that what they feel is wrong, who they are is wrong. We're essentially right? shutting down the learning in that moment. And yeah. we're going to do that sometimes. We're like, I just can't fucking take this. I'm yeah. sorry. Go to your room or I can't hear this or that's mean or we'll shame, shame them or whatever it is. But when we can say, I'm hearing you say these words. I'm realizing there's a need underneath behavior, behavior, <clears> words, <throat> underlying need. We're actually helping our kids be connected to that need. So next time they can say, I'm starting to feel frustrated. I think I need a deep breath or I'm starting to feel a little bit pokey. <clears throat> Maybe I need food, mm -hmm. right? That comes from us saying, honey, you're sounding a little pokey. I'm wondering if you're hungry. Mm -hmm. You're sounding a little frustrated. I wonder if you need a little bit. Has fresh it been air. a hard day today? <clears throat> Talk to me about it. I'm here to listen and support you. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of partners and a lot of mother-in-laws, right? Mm -hmm. Come and say, when you talk to your kids and just let their rude words go and let their swear words go and let their crazy behaviors go, you're being permissive mm -hmm. and you're raising an entitled spoiled brat. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a fear that we have in our own lives we're like, too. Oh my God, we're raising white kids. We don't want them to be like privileged assholes who talk right. down to people right. and right. treat them like garbage. We yeah. totally understand that. But I think what Kelsey's trying to identify here is that when we can help our kids translate and understand what their underlying needs are, what their feelings are, what their impulse that was so valid and okay before it was expressed in such a weird way was, we're building their awareness. We're building their self-awareness and self-awareness is what prevents people from saying and doing stupid things. Mm -hmm. That's the critical work that showing up calmly and lovingly and curiously does. It is the most productive way we can support and raise our kids rather than focusing <clears throat> on socialization and their behaviors and their words and judging them and yeah. shutting them down. And that is the least productive thing we can do with our kids. I want to say too, that often we focus on those words and those behaviors because we fear spiral or we think yeah. they can't do that with others or they can't be socialized. 
But a lot of the time, and I think a couple people have leaned towards this, it's just because we're centering ourselves. We don't like people talking to us that way. We had a stressful day. We don't want someone calling us, but what's my son been calling me? Granny butt cheek. <laughs> sometimes it's funny. And sometimes I'm like, that feels hateful to me. And I, I can't stand that. So it's based on your capacity. Based on my capacity, right? my fragility, my right? sensitivity, my sensitivities. Yeah. But I think in those moments when we slap down on those words and those behaviors, especially if they're directed at us and say, that hurts my feelings or that hurt my body or I can't believe you said or did this. We're literally stopping the learning from our kids mm -hmm. and we're centering ourselves and say, pay attention to my feelings, your needs and feelings that drove you and your little four-year-old, mm -hmm. seven-year-old brain to say that to me isn't as important as the impact it has on me, mm -hmm. right? So we focus on the impact that hurt your sister. That is mean. That is unkind. Cause we're like, please be a not mean, very kind person. We're like, that hurts my feelings. You can't talk to me that way. I would never talk to you that way. I would never do that. So right. we focus heavy on that, on that impact often. But I think, can we set that aside? Can we decenter ourselves in those moments? Can we look to the deeper need of our child? And I think the phrase that keeps coming to me is, what are you needing? How can I support mm -hmm. you? If you can just say, what are you needing? Even if you don't get any farther than that with your kid, mm -hmm. you're telling them, I see that you're needing something. Mm -hmm. right? I think that when our kids are using high energy words with us. So they're calling us stupid. They're being rude to us or their siblings, mm -hmm. or they're swearing and doing things that are kind of triggering and uncomfortable for us. I think it's easy for us to forget that what they're saying is, is help. Mm -hmm. They're saying, help. I'm struggling. I'm suffering. I'm needing something. And I don't know what to do. And I think our society doesn't focus on aggression or anger or rudeness very well because it's not socially acceptable and it should be for kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that let's say our child sat up in the middle of the night and vomited. Right. Mm -hmm. Would we come in and would we say, you are being so selfish and terrible. I'm trying to sleep right now. I, I'm not okay with you throwing this is up. Gross. This is gross. <clears throat> no, we would see this as them suffering and struggling. And guess what so we do? We would attend. So you're saying that having big feelings and challenging behaviors for kids is based on a similar physiological need as throwing up or getting sick. Or but anything it's invisible like that. to us. And yeah. so we're, we unfortunately project all of these societal expectations on our mm -hmm. kids, which is really unfair because it's doing them and us the disservice of moving us into a place of behaviorist focused stuff, of judgment, of control, of distancing, of mm -hmm. shaming, right? Rather than if we look at our kids' high energy words as another physiological, physical manifestation of stress mm -hmm. or of struggle <clears throat> or of suffering, just like them being sick or them falling down mm -hmm. or anything else. We would never minimize that. Yeah. We would never center ourselves in that way. And right? I like, I like talking about using this metaphor too of the age spectrum. Gosh, when we have little mm -hmm. babies, yeah. we're not going to blame the baby for crying. We're not going to be like, you are mad and that <laughs> is not okay. Too loud. Go to your room, infant baby, right? No, we attend, like you said. We swing them, we use soothers. We think, are they hungry? Are they tired? Um, are, are they, they very curious? Are they too cold? Are they too hot? Do they need some fresh air or nervous system regulation? Do they yeah. need to be on a swing or down a slide? And then at a certain age, 18 months, on their body's needs, on their body's stress, giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're always doing their best. Babies are always doing the very best they can. But once they get to be a toddler or a kid, not so much anymore is what we think, right? We have very, very high and unrealistic expectations of our toddlers, our kids, 
our adolescents and our teenagers and our husbands and partners. Let's be honest. We're all struggling with this stuff. You were way harsher on your husband than your kids. Oh man. Let's keep the kids in this conversation. Okay. Here's another uh, DM we got. There's always so much good info on hitting that is related to emotional states, anger, frustration, jealousy, someone writes, but what do we do when it's done just to make the other kiddo cry or to get our attention? So triggering for us because it feels so malicious. We hold the boundary, don't give big reactions, but to no avail. Mm-hmm. So this I person, think, okay, go ahead. Well, I think I like, I, this is so understandable. I love this question, yeah. but I think to no avail being a big key to me, which is to say they're trying to stop this naturally developmental behavior. Mm-hmm. We're doing what feels like all the right things. Yes. Not giving it heat. Yes. Not punishing it, mm-hmm. holding the boundary anyway, but it's not quote unquote working. Mm-hmm. It's not extinguishing this behavior. And I think that's, it's a goal that we often have, which is if I'm leaning into this with connection or if I'm not making it worse, or if I'm holding a limit pretty lovingly, it should stop. It should stop. They should just not be hitting anymore if I'm doing it this way. And that's what a lot of partners say. This loving way isn't working, honey. It's time to use consequences. It's time to threaten them. It's time to time yeah. to do these things. So I want to just remind everyone, the goal is not to stop the behavior. Like Hannah mentioned, the behaviors will stop on their own right. when our kids have moved through that developmental phase and mm-hmm. hopefully with their sense of self and our relationship intact, yeah. right? And having built some skills, yeah, learning about the, that kind of inner wisdom and authority, that underlying need so that's driving the behavior. Let's talk about what that could possibly be. So this mm-hmm. person said- They're kind of differentiating basically between right. super dysregulated, angry hitting, and maybe just simmering stress behavior hitting where you're like that came out of fucking nowhere. Right. Well, so you said this person said, what do we do when it's done just to make the other kiddo cry or to get our attention? It seems it's malicious, bad. right? So it yeah. seems intentional. A lot of things our kids do, just like you mentioned earlier, Kel, we're like, Oh, give it a pass. They're angry. They're hungry. They're jealous. They're whatever. Right. We can identify that feeling. But then sometimes our kids will do something like torture a friend or a sibling and or just throw something at someone's head, right? Or do something totally Mm -hmm. random. And because we can't identify and label what that is and why it's happening, our brains go to make sense of it by basically judging it as something like malicious, right? Mm -hmm. And this seems to be, in my opinion, from the little I know, a stress behavior like any other behavior this child does. Mm -hmm. When this child uh, makes another kiddo cry, Mm -hmm. right? It's a stress behavior. They're feeling stress or discomfort in their bodies. They're needing something. They're feeling something and they don't know how to, um, acknowledge what it is. They don't know how to label what it is. They don't know how to create safety around it and they don't know how to communicate it or get the need met in a different way. And that's what we get to do with them in those moments. Mm -hmm. So let's say this is something I've gotten really comfortable doing because this is how my daughter projects her stress is she pokes at other people. So we have to think, what are our kids stress behaviors? Every right child now. right now has a different stress behavior. Some kids, when their nervous systems dysregulated, when they're maxed out of daily expectations, when they're overtired, over hungry, whatever it is, they're not doing so hot, right? They may whine and complain. And you're like, this is just unnecessary. No, mm-hmm. it's just their stress behavior right now. Right? Another child might, um, go into total, like not listening mode, disassociation mode, tuning everything out, being alone, right? Stress behavior. This is how they're coping when their body has reached mask's capacity. I'd like right? everyone to think about their own personal stress behavior. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this is something that I work on with my partner in therapy and with Hannah. When I start getting stressed, I start doing things like this. What's this? What's this? Why is this still sitting on the counter? I thought this area was cleaned up. 
So I start nitpicking on my environment and how nobody is meeting my needs environmentally and cooperatively. Mm -hmm. And that's when I start getting stressed out and dysregulated. So this is how you project that discomfort. You yep. project it onto your husband, husband about needs that aren't being met in the house when mm -hmm. your stress is about a bunch of other things. That's not, it's not about the right. sock or about the trash on the counter or no. about his inability to rinse out the coffee grounds. It's not about it's that. It's maybe too much work, too much screen time, not enough walking and outside time. Feeling disconnected from him. I didn't see him all day, so I'm just gonna poke and lash out. I love Kelsey that you're thinking about, can we identify our own stress behaviors, right? Do we get hopeless and complainy? Do we get pokey and nitpicky? Do we self-isolate, right? Mm -hmm. Our kids have their own version of a stress language based on the skills they currently have, based on the temperament, based on the communication, or I guess based on their skills already, based on their development, mm -hmm. right? And so those are going to shift over time. Stress language starts with babies crying, right? Mm -hmm. Then it goes toddlers clinging or toddlers hitting or toddlers floundering on the floor. Those are stress behaviors. Their bodies, it's involuntary, right? It seems so intentional and malicious, but it is a unconscious, immediately reactive response, right? Mm -hmm. And then the more that we give our kids negative attention, shame, consequences, lectures, threatening on these quote unquote tricky behaviors or stress behaviors we like to call, the more we start kind of showing them that that's what they should be doing when they're stressed because we're focusing so much on that behavior and not to do it. We're not actually supporting them on what else to do and why they're even doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So again, Kelsey loves talking about the energy transfer. And this is something we bring up a lot in our small group coaching, which is coming up is saying, how do we want to spend our energy with our child? Do we want to do it focusing on what we don't like that they're doing that they can't help doing? Or do we want to be focusing on why they're doing it and how we can support them? Because if they understand why they're doing something, what they're needing, and we're helping them figure out how to get that need met, those are the skills that they're going to be applying over time, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it, it feels like a lot more work, but it's actually a lot less energy because they start picking up on it. Mm -hmm. And it, the vicious cycle becomes this beautiful evolution of development. Yeah. Right? I think you're talking about basically the three choices we have in the moment when our kids are saying mean things, when they're hurting each other, when they're pushing the limits, when they won't listen, clean up, mm -hmm. put their stuff away, get dressed, whatever it is. We've got three choices. One, we can control consequences on my terms. Now threats, rewards, overpower, lecture, all the shame, blame, spanking, all the things that come the most automatically to us when we're pushed, when we're feeling unheard and overused and stressed and worried about the future, what it means. Right. right. So that's our first choice is to control. Maybe that's our knee jerk reaction. So when they say something mean mm -hmm. to us, sibling, our second choice is to connect and lean in. Like you said, Hannah, to that deeper need, right? What's going on? What are you needing? How you doing, honey? We're like, not good, but I'm just going to ask to so help them tune in. What are they needing? How are they feeling? What's going on? We want our kids right. to have difficult feelings and emotions and mm -hmm. situations in their lives, which they're going to have forever and not feel scared and confused. We mm -hmm. want them to feel safe and clear. So that's what we're helping them do in step two. Right? So we've got one option, control the shit out of them. Second option, lean in and connect, ask questions, be curious, problem solve, try to be that neutral support staff. So they'll come to us when they need help. Third option is just let it go for now, for now. We can circle back about it later. If we know we don't want to, we notice, oh shit, I'm about to control them and make this worse. I'm going to yell. I'm going to threaten them. I'm going to reduce their learning and undermine our relationship. I don't want to do that. Sometimes we can catch ourselves before we've said or done anything. So we right? say, can I lean in and connect? Can I lean and connect with them so to build their skills, to nurture our relationship? How's my threshold right now? Right. Can I do that? 
And then I don't have to dive in a huge amount right now. I could also lean in and connect later, right? We were talking about moving that teaching moment and connection moment to later when we all have a higher capacity. Mm -hmm. And then if I can't do that either, we've got to get out the door. Something funny is happening. I'm about to get triggered and move to that control toolbox. Then I just let it go and I nod. We keep everyone safe and we just let the thing go, knowing that we can always go in the moment later in our mm -hmm. processing step that we're gonna be unpacking. So what does letting it go mean? A lot of people are like, but I can't let it go if they're hurting their sibling, or I can't let it go, we have to get in the car or whatever it is. And I think that letting it go can be still setting a boundary and gonna help your sibling away, right? We're not like mm -hmm. dominating the situation, but we're not able to lean in either. So we remove one of the siblings or we remove mm -hmm. the toy that they're breaking, or right. we, um, we remove ourselves. If we we're not like a little the, break and I'm like, I've got about three minutes to step out before we have to try to reapproach this transition time into the car, right? Mm -hmm. That's a moment of letting it go. Even is mm -hmm. giving yourself a break, right? Letting control go doesn't mean inviting chaos. It doesn't mean giving our kids everything that they want. This is so much about the work that we're going to be doing this month in our Wednesday small group coaching sessions is helping folks like us, folks like you, understand that that middle way, what does that middle way actually look like when we're not holding everything fast and controlling the shit out of our kids and feeling like crap about it. And we're not letting everything go because we don't like conflict and we don't know what else to do. And we're scared to deal with this thing. The middle way is finding that basically based in nonviolent communication, based in mindfulness, based in research. It's what all the therapists are doing these days, right? It's the stuff that wasn't necessarily done to us and that um, we're learning right the first time it's that middle way of saying I can hold a loving limit that I'm sure of and I can also do it in a loving way that helps build awareness with my child that helps nurture our relationship that actually moves us forward and evolves us right mm -hmm. so the next time this comes up we feel and do a little better and then the next time it comes up we feel and do a little better mm -hmm. right? something we also help with in small group coaching we only have a couple more days to enroll so yeah. check that out on our website at upbringing.co it's helping you find where those lines are because those lines, those deal breaker lines, those I got to hold the limit here lines, or I can let go lines mm. are different for everyone. And they're different in every situation. And I think that that's where parents feel so lost in the dark. Sometimes Which one do I do? they're like, I don't know. Is it a deal breaker? I don't know. Is it okay to let that go or not? Mm. And so a lot of what we talk about is saying, I don't know. Is it what would happen? Let's play out these scenarios. <laughs> if we lean into them a different way, what could happen? Mm. And then between weeks we get feedback. How did that go? Letting them choose what food they ate. Or how did that go holding a limit because you felt like it really mattered to you and you've thought about it a mm. lot about this one thing? How did that go? I mean, I think what you're describing, Kelty, is practicing together and with you all mm -hmm. in coming home to our own intuition, which what we call is our inner wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that exactly what we're trying to support our kids in doing is knowing what they're feeling and then how to communicate that and get that need met. Right. Mm -hmm. And we struggle as parents. That's what we're talking about in, in parenting our, our sensitive and strong-willed kids with the big feelings and challenging behaviors. We don't know what we're needing. A lot of times we don't know which direction to go because most of us that have also been programmed to look outside of ourselves for all of the answers and to not trust our intuition in making decisions. So, so much about these small group sessions is helping us all get back to our own intuition about what our boundaries are, about what our goals and intentions are, about how we can show up in a way that meets our kids' needs and meets our own at the mm -hmm. same time. And someone mentions here generational change, and that is the definition of generational change, is showing up over and over again mm -hmm. as best we can with awareness, with intention, and with vulnerability, just over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that.
Love yeah, it. I talk about how we're parenting for sanity, right? And social change. So sanity in the moment. How do we move through those tricky situations with our kids? How do we lean in in a way that's going to feel better for us? That's going to feel better for our kids. That's going to keep us connected and get shit done. Yeah. Right. And how do, are we thinking about all of this work, all of this practice, especially as privileged white women, right? As moving toward generational change and as in giving our kids the skills that they need to be good, privileged people, to be responsible, to be checking their power and privilege, yeah. to be leaning in, in a non uh, in a nonviolent communicative way to be considering diversity, equity, inclusion, because we considered it in the parent-child relationship with them, mm -hmm. right? All the skills that we hope our kids um, practice someday, right? In all the institutions they're gonna go into and schools and business and communities and families, right? We have to practice with them now. We can't teach them empathy by shaming them, right? We can't teach them collaboration by giving them a timeout, right? We can't teach them creativity and innovation through consequences and telling them what to do, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be walking the walk and talking the talk now, and that's what we wanna support you in doing. Mm -hmm. I think that the, generally speaking, the small group coaching is gonna have a different theme each week. The first week, we're gonna bust all of these myths and beliefs we have about kids and I think this is one of the biggest ones for partners who come to mm -hmm. the table because they get to bring all of their doubts. But what about this? But what about that? And I thought that, and we get to build a framework that has basically flips conventional parenting on its head and sets the scene for doing this work where we can feel oh, some conviction and some confidence in going about it this way and practicing this way, right? The second week, we talk about why kids' resistance to transitions and to our authority and to expectations is so valuable and how to go about gaining cooperation, building cooperation, little by little over time. So this is about mealtimes, bedtimes, toileting, getting dressed, um, getting leaving school, the park, screen time, homework, all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Then the third week, we talk about how to manage those big feelings and challenging behaviors right? The verbal abuse that we were talking about earlier, that high energy talk with us and other people, physical aggression, physical aggression to us, to siblings, to peers. How do we show up in a way that again is teaching what we want our kids to learn, right? And then the final session is talking about the three keys to our own, right? Uh, self-regulation. So a lot of times we're like, we all, we know all the things, right? People tell us, but I just can't keep it together. I just can't stay calm. And so we're going to talk about the three keys to being able to do that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone said extremely strong well, two-year-old, everything is a struggle, even when giving him choice and connection, majorly burnt out and little desire to keep doing all the things. Yeah. Thank you for that share. And I absolutely relate to that. We had four kids under two, two of which were highly resistant constantly. Um, so I energy. Can, I can absolutely relate to that. And yeah. I think that what you point out here and what I would suggest with this two-year-old who you're giving choice and connection through all these things with, which is great, yeah. is something that come, will come up every one of our coaching calls in the February small group coaching. We've got a couple days left. Check it out on our website, which is how do we keep our kids' bodies, nervous systems regulated through challenge? How can we be preventing resistance, pushback, challenges, and promoting cooperation and connection just by thinking about how to get their body's needs met beforehand. I think very often, once our kids turn two, we're like, oh, I can just tell them everything now. 
because they understand me, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a critical time when we start realizing this is fucking exhausting being with mm -hmm. a two-year-old. Everything I'm saying, they're like, talk to the hand. No, my, I do, me, whatever. No, 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 no. no. Right? And I think that I, I like, Kelty, that you're identifying a huge portion of our work is saying, yes, let's work from what we call a top-down. Mona Delahook talks about this. A brain to body place where we talk and we explain and it's we reason. It's time to right. I need you to. Right. We give. We, we can't do that right. because right. We get, we also give choices. That's part of it too. Do you want this thing or this thing? Right. We also work on our invitation. So we get goofy. We get creative. We get a little more subtle instead of going through what we call the front door, telling them things that need to happen. I need you to do this now. Right. We're very clear with two-year-olds, and they don't like it a lot of the time. We have to get a little more subtle, a little more creative with our bids, our invitation our information giving. All of this is still top down. Top down. And then what Kelty is talking about is the little known bottom up strategies that none of us taught, you know, we, we were not taught these things, mm -hmm. right? Saying, how can I support their nervous system and their bodies? Because that is what will help them to understand and to cooperate and to learn and to grow up alongside me. And to just listen so to us a, a little. It's a two part <laughs> situation. And I think that's what we unpack in our small group coaching is figuring out is it more of a top-down thing that this two-year-old's needing or is it more of a bottom-up thing or is it a combination? Mm -hmm. Let's tailor your approach to this two-year-old because there's no one-size-fits-all approach to saying, oh, I know the exact perfect thing for your two-year-old mm -hmm. to get them to brush their teeth or sit and get in their car seat yeah. or do whatever it is. It's so much about getting curious about why your toddler's resisting and re respecting that resistance as critical information, not just because they deserve to self-advocate and we want to preserve that, that impulse equals personal boundary setting. Right. It's very healthy. We want our kids to learn to resist, to continue resisting, to feel safe resisting, but also because it's good information for us that we can understand what their obstacles are and we can start helping them identify, communicate, and work through those obstacles, mm -hmm. right? So that they won't have obstacles when they're 5, 10, 15, 20, 40, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really important work. It's exhausting work. You're not alone, right? We're going through it ourselves with our older kids in their mm -hmm. own way. Someone mentioned what to do with a six-year-old middle sibling that physically and emotionally hurts his four-year-old brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk more about nervous systems. I would say yeah. be nearby more often, mm -hmm. right? So first, first things first, safety, right? Oftentimes our kids get to that age and we're like, they're, like, they're pretty reliable as a six-year-old. They know not to bop and hurt people, yeah. but it's happening, right? right? So instead of expecting them to not do it, they're doing it right now. So that's the, our reality. We need to be closer so we can intervene to prevent physical harm, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the number one thing. And then they, again, six-year-old, we don't have to tell a six-year-old, you can't say that to your Don't sibling. hit your brother. You can't hit your That hurts him. Right, trying to rationalize that top down. They know that already. The reason most of our kids say and do harmful things to one another isn't because they don't know that it's wrong or that they don't know it's maladaptive. Which is why worrisome. on the impact is so unproductive. It's unproductive. What they're doing is coming from a nervous system, physiological place, and that's why the, the root cause is there. That's where the help needs to be coming from. That's where we need to be focusing. So the six-year-old has stress in their bodies, and it's very normal for kids to project their stress onto very convenient um, little siblings, right? And they project their stress onto us, just like someone mentioned earlier in this call. That's something we are going to discuss and unpack a lot in the small group coaching. And I think mm -hmm. on Instagram this week, we also had five reasons why one sibling tortures another sibling. So mm -hmm. go check that out in our feed. Mm -hmm. But it's for so many reasons. And when we can see that siblings um, 
hurtful behavior as critical information that they're suffering. They cry for help. The sooner that we're able to move from a place of behavior focused, judgmental, fear-based reactions to a place of trust, curiosity, compassion, and innovation, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to build their awareness and nurture our relationship. I think this is like, you know, kind of an obvious reminder, but it's one that I need every now and then myself too. And maybe some of you listening might need this permission um, and this kind of reminder that it's okay for our kids to hurt each other. It's okay for our kids to yell and to say mean things at us and others. It's all part of their development. And I think nobody told any of us this. Everyone said, I'm going to become a parent. Hopefully I get a good kid <laughs> because some are bad. I've seen that a little bit of that. Or hopefully I get couple. the golden retriever. Hopefully I, hopefully I get right. the golden retriever, not the Australian shepherd pit bull chihuahua mix, right? That's not me. I would never get that, that kid cursed. Right. And so just a reminder to everybody, it's natural, normal, and necessary for our kids to bop each other, yell, scream, wig out, throw things, break things, run away, resist. These are all good things. Mm. Well, it's okay. I love that. And that's back to our beginning of our conversation here saying that kids do things for a reason and we have to allow them within general means, mm-hmm. right? Safety reasons to do, to live, to express and to experience their world because that's how they learn. And rather than, you know, giving them props and claps and hugs for some things and giving them shame and blame and consequences and isolation and spankings for other things, we can actually welcome all the things they're doing and instead focus our time on supporting their awareness and helping them understand what they're needing and feeling, helping them understand what other people are needing and feeling in a safe environment Mm -hmm. over and over and over. That's the teaching our kids need. You make it sound so easy, Hannah. (laughs) And it's not. And that's what we're really excited about diving into the small group coaching. Check out our website at upbringing.co. We only have a couple days left to enroll for next month. It's just four calls. But that's what we talk about is saying, that all sounds nice, but I show up like a fucking tyrant and I don't know how to do that. And so, so much of what we talk about in those tricky sibling situations, the resistant toddlers, the eye rolling routines, all that, those ages, is focusing less on them and their behaviors and more on ourselves and the way we show up. How can we decide not to be the tyrant, the oppressor, the judgy lady, right? The referee, the hall monitor, the judge, jury, all of those things. How can we set that aside? Because that's what comes very naturally to us. Mm -hmm. That's our cultural conditioning and our trauma speaking more often than not. And how can we focus on this new avatar and role for ourselves? The sensitive support staff, the mediator, the wing person, the ally, right? right? The teacher, the teacher, the inspiring, yeah. loving person yeah. that that voice, that inner voice that we want our kids to hold for themselves and for other people someday. Yeah. We get to be that voice. We get to practice that voice. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get it pitch perfect every time. That's not the point, but we're developing that voice. We're developing that relationship. We're modeling that for our kids so that they can go out into the world and, and it can be normal for them to think that, to feel that, and to do that as I well. I that you point to that. The ways that we interact with our kids, yeah. our voice in helping them or not helping them through these challenging moments of their development, right? Not these behaviors that we need to extinguish, but challenging moments of their development, of their brain growing, our voice becomes their inner voice. It's why their outer voice too. It does, but maybe yeah. think about for a moment, what's the voice in your head that, that, kind of kicks you sometimes that says you're not good enough. That's not fast enough. I'm disappointed in you. Oh, you should have done better. Right. Where did that voice come from? How supportive is that voice for you? As opposed to a voice that says, 
I'm always doing my best. I'm going to figure out what happened there and, and figure out another way to it next time. I'm a good person no matter what happens. And knowing right. that we're good and that we're loved actually helps us want to come to the table when there's conflict, actually want, makes us want to come to the table when we have different needs than someone else, mm -hmm. right? So, so much about this, we call, we call it conflict revolution that we're going through with our kids and that we're going to be discussing in the small group coaching is saying, how can we completely reframe and flip the notion of conflict from something scary and unnecessary that needs to be resolved harmful, right? right? Conflict resolution style, right? To conflict revolution, where conflict is valuable, it's normal, it's natural, and it's necessary. It's an investment to focus on and evolve through, right? Not something to solve and get done with. That's why conflicts keep popping up, actually, because we think we're solving them, but we're not actually evolving through them, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we want to help you do with your kids, with your families, with your partners, through all of these big challenging behaviors and mm -hmm. wild feelings, right? We're all in this together. We, we were never meant to know this stuff. We're mm -hmm. learning this right alongside our kids. That's why we like to say, show up and grow up. We're all growing up together, mm -hmm. right? If you have any questions, reach out, DM, email us, carry a pigeon, whatever feels right um, about the small group coaching coming up. If you can't make those Wednesday dates, uh, reach out as well because we do private coaching also. So we've already had lots of folks who were like, can't make the Wednesday, but let's do a coaching package so we can really deep dive into some of this stuff. Start out 2023 in a strong, confident, connected way. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Thank you all for being here. We'll be back next week. We're trying to bring back live Q and A's here on Instagram oh, yeah, and on the podcast. Mm -hmm. We'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be back soon. You're doing an amazing job. See you soon. See you soon.